Hello, welcome to Life Beyond the Numbers, the podcast where we share stories, insights and strategies that go beyond some of the numbers we encounter in our work life. I'm Susan Lee-Trivon. I work with organisations who put people first. I've lived and worked in many countries. I've met people who love what they do and people who don't. People who bring their full selves to work and people who won't. And together with my guests, we place a lens on and focus in on the people side of work life. Because we know that it is people who do the work, not numbers. And if we are treated well, we will perform well and might even generate better numbers. So today I am really, really delighted to be joined by Matt Phelan. Matt, you are so welcome to Life Beyond the Numbers. Hey, Susan, I'm, I'm trying not to laugh because we just had a chat offline about, we've been chatting and laughing about how then when you go and record, everyone's like, hey, my name is Matt. So <laughs> I'm just trying to make sure I continue to be me and not go into someone else. So yeah, thanks for having me, Susan. And yeah, I've already enjoyed our chat loads so far and I can't wait to continue it now whilst the record button's on. Exactly. And we're sorry we weren't recording some of what we already talked about. And it <laughs> might come up. But let's get started, Matt, because mm. one of the things I really liked on your LinkedIn profile is you state that my belief is that the future of technology is human. Mm. So reconcile that one for me, please. Well, it's funny because you emailed me about that this morning. and I thought, oh, damn, I forgot I'd written that on there. So now I need to think about it. <laughs> But I suppose an example would be, I don't want to pick on mental health apps and technology and well-being because look, I'm I'm in this space as well, right? And there's there's some amazing apps out there, like Jana Dowling's app, RKO, amazing app and so on, literally just got in the store. Um, amazing business, right? But for me, it goes back to what the purpose of all this stuff is because, so if I take me as an example, one of the most important things for me for my own mental health is nature now if i go into nature without my phone i'm getting a i personally come back getting what i needed from that walk or or that silence that solace so on if i've got my phone in my pocket and it's pinging and people are calling me and all that kind of stuff and i'm not getting it so what I mean by that is kind of calling out even myself because i'm i'm a tech company owner which is where is this tech guide and what's happening with it? We only need to look at, at what happened with Facebook and how they knew on their watch that this some of this stuff was unhealthy for children, like really unhealthy and, and so on. And they knew. So that became what we call freedom to be human, which is the happiness index's vision. That was my bit. But then we came together as a team and tried to understand, like, because we all believed in it. And that was my description of it. And then the founders and the founding team all sort of we all sort of put it in like a melting pot and then out popped freedom to be human which is a better explanation of what i'm trying to say but i think it's an obligation it's that spider-man quote isn't it with great power comes great responsibility and that's my reminder to myself that this technology needs to be used for good because all technology starts out like google used to be a, what was it don't be evil oh, yeah. like 
Yeah, that got rewritten, didn't it? That's not in there anymore. They took that away. And I think you need, I mean, we were, we were talking about your history, Susan, weren't we, off air and the pronunciation of your name. Like, you got to remember where you come from. And I think that applies to life and, and technology companies as well. And I think as well, like, we can do most things without technology. So it's also remembering that technology is making things easier or it's it's facilitating things we were that took longer or were harder to do even this conversation for example exactly you know we can do it with technology but you know i could have traveled to wherever you are and sat down with you and recorded as well yeah yeah and if you took, let's talk about shyness like if you speak to any of my school friends i, I would they would most of them say i'm quite a shy person but but being in business has given me confidence to do stuff like this because you just it's repetition isn't it like if you told the 14 year old me i needed to go on and do this call with someone super intelligent that's got a master's i'd have been like absolutely no chance but through repetition of meeting amazing people you realize that you do these things and you don't die so <laughs> and everything and everything's all right. And if you take things like da- like dating apps, like I had to get really drunk and walk up to my wife in a nightclub and speak to her. Like, that's not a good way of doing things. And if my wife was to get rid of me, which I hope she doesn't because I love her very much, I would use an app just like everyone else does. And that's great, isn't it? Because that we didn't have a great way of meeting people and technology has given us potentially better ways but but there's also downsides of that as well but i think it's just keeping that that bit in the middle of it which we call free to be human brilliant so you're on a mission to improve the way organizations treat people matt which is like music and words to my ears as well so how so oh such a good question susan (laughs) such a big question as well i think if we take the dunbar number for so those that people who don't know the dunbar number it is the the number at which strong bonds and relationships between the people in the community start to break down so broadly speaking we take for simplicity we take the number of 120 and you could take anyone listening can look at their friendship and family so at the core of of that 120 you've probably got your family which may be a sister, a brother, a mum or whatever. And that may be, in my case, it's like I've got like over 35 cousins, like 30, 40 cousins, like it's massive. But not everyone is Catholic Irish. So, but let's just assume the average is about five. Then you've got like your close friends, like that may be another five. So you're up to 10. Then you've got your work colleagues, people that you met at school and so on. Once that gets to 120, you, you you can't keep in touch really with more more people than that, and and the bonds break down, which is why it's natural to lose touch with people. Sometimes that's just part of the natural process. And just so you know, you get people like Susan that are like super networkers that can do more, and there's some people that prefer less. So it's just an average, like we were saying, Susan lies, damn lies, and statistics. But the point is, generally, the bigger the company, the unhappier the staff. Well, not generally. That's the data. That's our data. That's that's a fact. There's no there's no denying that, right? If the bigger the company, the unhappier the staff, and that's because the number one driver of happiness at work is relationships. So going back to why and what our mission is, it's, it's something you again you said off record, Susan. It doesn't have to be that. It's not inevitable that a bigger company has to have unhappy employees. So I think ultimately we're like a modern version of an employee engagement platform. But I think ultimately what we're doing is we are giving people data to achieve emotional intelligence at scale. Because if you're the CEO of a hundred person company, 
I would hope that you have a bit of a feel about how everyone's feeling in that company. And, and I think that's your job. But if you take our biggest client, who they have 450,000 employees, there is no way the CEO can run that business and know how all their people feel in by speaking to them. It's physically impossible. So what we're trying to do um, is use data to understand how people are feeling. So we say that we work in emotional data, which can be hard for people to wrap their heads around because it's very emotional data. I would say is four dimensional compared to a lot of data, which is one dimensional, sometimes two dimensional. So even that conversation will be here for years. But at the end of the day, it's data on how people feel. And if you know how people feel, my final point on it is that, you know, that saying, if you can measure it, you can manage it. I used to say that for years and now I hate it. I now, I now say, which is not a snappy and it won't be turned into a book and it won't appear on slides at universities, but it will be, if, if you can measure it, you can better understand it. If you can better understand it, you can make better decisions. And you still might get those decisions wrong, Susan. <laughs> Absolutely. But I'd rather get them wrong than not make any. Yeah, Which exactly. is often what happens. And I think some of the unhappiness people will have in a workplace is nobody's making any decisions about anything. Yeah. Yeah. And, that's, and that is much easier when you can prioritise. So if you take racial equity, nice light subject, Susan, for a Thursday morning. And um, where do you start, right? It's, we've had the horrific uh, murder of George Floyd in America. It's on the agenda, it's in the news, but where do you start as a CEO? So we went to Shireen Daniels' amazing conference um, called Advancing Racial Equity. The UK government produced a report that kind of said, I'm paraphrasing a lot, kind of said there isn't really much racism in the UK and it's a model for other countries to follow. Most people that I have worked with in my career that are not white contacted me when that report was saying, saying, I don't agree with that. That doesn't reflect my lived experience. So we collected data to understand that. Like, what is the lived experience, which is different? That's a different dimension to just because if you ask 100 people, are you racist? In general, 100 people say, no, I'm not racist. Because people can be doing things, saying things without realising. And that's where education comes into it. But I think the the piece that I want to share with you from that data is that the first most important thing you could do is work on the belonging piece in your company. So people talk about diversity, inclusion, belonging which makes it sound like you do diversity, then you do inclusion, then you do belonging. But actually, you should start with the people you've got. Like, start with the people that are there. Do they feel like they belong in this organisation? Has Susan had to change her surname for it to sound more English? How does she feel about that? And so on and so on. So once you start to... We better explain that in a bit, Susan, what I'm talking about. But, (laughs) But once you start with the people you've got, then you can build out. And the second most important bit, which has been an eye opener for me is... Is the company actively fighting against all types of discrimination is one of the things that employees expect. So I was sort of brought up like you don't talk about politics and religion, basically. Don't talk about those two things. That's what I I was taught. That's not what employees want now. They want to know where you stand on these things. And guess what? Some people won't like it and some will, but that's life. And but, But that's what employees are wanting at the moment. They want to see that you're actively... You can use all we can use all the labels, but for me, it's around fairness, isn't it? Is how are your people being treated and so on? So they they want to see that you're talking about it. So I've totally forgotten what the question is, and you've gone off the tangent. <laughs> so, <have I. laughs> so have I, but it doesn't matter. Um, 
because I think I, I'm sure you've answered it, but it's leading to so many other questions. And first, I wanted to go back and ask you about what do you mean by four dimensional data? Yeah, dimensional okay. data being four dimensional. Yeah. So I'll give you I'll give you an example of something that I've been labelled with, and I know that there is a gender split because I know many women have been labelled this before, which is being described as too emotional. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it's it's a very negative label that can be assigned to people i've definitely been called that and it's probably why i'm an entrepreneur because i've just i've even got a client that said if i work for them that he would fire me but but that's cool he likes the fact i'm on the outside and i can come in and help it's brilliant oh my I won't god say he that and what client that is on, on air but so let's let's pick an interview right most people that are listening to your podcast describe to me your typical listener susan who, who, who listens to this podcast who, who am i speaking to so you're speaking to people who give a crap, I think, about having a better work life. So people yeah. who are interested in being themselves at work. Okay, got you. Okay, I'd, I'd like to have that picture in my head. Okay, so the only thing I know about those people is just because it's the same as the people who work at Happiness Index. They've normally got inspired to join this, what I call movement that you're in, Susan, that I'm in, from different angles. They've normally had a bad experience. Every single person at the Happiness Index, when you actually get to go for a coffee with from one-on-one they'll tell you about something that that you're like can't believe that happened and they don't want it to happen to other people so let's pick the interview process right and this is what i mean by the four dimensions so someone sits down in front of you let's call them peter peter sits down in front of you people talk about in first impressions what we're talking about is our instinctive response to that person we can't control an instinctive response. That's just, there's lots of different varying of percentages, but a lot of what we're thinking and doing is subconscious, right? Peter sits down and is about to be interviewed by one of your guests on this podcast. Let's just, just say they're, they're interviewing to be a HR manager. If Peter happens to look like your ex-husband or your brother, your worst enemy, your best friend, someone, or they look like Tom Jones or whatever, there's an emotional response there that then happens. So we've already got two dimensions of data. So if I said to you, one dimension is, what do you think of this person who sat down? You might give me one level of data. Our third point is our rational point, right? Okay, they've done five years in HR, they're CIPD qualified and so on and so on. So we're up to three dimensions now or layers, whatever we want to call them. Our fourth dimension is our reflective response. So you sat that they sat down, good first impression, uh, instinctively thought, oh, I'm warm to this. Emotionally, you get over the fact that they look like your ex-husband quickly because your rational brain kicks in. They've got a good CV. And you just wait till tomorrow. But you reflected on it, but your gut is saying, mm, just not sure about something here. So that's a, just one example of what's happening in every single event in the day in the workplace. So most technology and most employee engagement has focused on the rational part around what an employee experience is. And again, I mean, this is why the CIA and interrogators, they ask emotional questions because it's harder to lie to an emotional question than it is to a rational question. 
So there's reasons behind all this, which is built on neuroscience, which is what the happiness index is built on. But that's that's a long answer to what do we do? I mean by the different dimensions. So some people might call them dimensions. Some some people might call them layers. I just call them uh, better understanding. And as humans, we like to simplify stuff like to into just simplicity. But it, life's not that simple. And we're animals, and we're part of nature, and we've got all these senses going on. And but once we're aware of them we can start to improve things. Yeah, and awareness is so key. But what happens there, Matt, when your gut is still saying no? Do you listen to it? Or does the rational come back in? How does that unfold with Peter? So I think it's really important. This is how weird I am, right, Susan? Because I now know from the neuroscience perspective, our subconscious is driving us a lot. I see our subconscious as our DNA, but also our database driven by our experiences. So if we take race as uh, as an example, let's say you're a white person and in the town that you grew up, you've never met a black person. The first time you meet or interview a black person, you have a view that has been formed impossibly from TV or from the media or so on and so on. So the only thing I think you can do is to gather more experience. And I don't mean experience as in I've gone and worked in this place for 15 years. But the only way that you can do that is get out into your communities and meet more people, talk to people. Like we worked with Parkrun and they were telling me that when they envisaged Parkrun in Belfast, they were basically told that they would have to have a Catholic and a Protestant Parkrun. That's what people thought. And ultimately, I think there's an amazing story on it somewhere, but ultimately they ended up having one Parkrun and guess what? Joggers are joggers. And everyone had a great, but Ireland is probably another example of that, where sometimes you just have to get to the other side and meet people and talk. And then you start to get an understanding of people. And and because and I'm a data guy, that's all data that's feeding your subconscious. So the next time you, because if you've grown up and you've been told that the other side of this, 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 and this, like you're only going to think one thing, like British people were only told as they grew up, the only thing in that you ever see in films is that, that they're fighting German people or Japanese people because it's all World War II films. I didn't meet an actual German person other than my German teacher for, until I went traveling when I was 18. So, so I think your gut is important and you should trust your gut, but you should question where is your data coming from and have you got out and is there enough data in your gut? Um, and if there's not, that's cool because you can bring, that's called a second opinion. You can bring someone else in and, and so on. But, and that's, that's where I think all these things like subconscious bias and stuff come on. And, and we need to remember bias can be good because I've got a bias to not eat food that kills me. Right. That's, that's the evolutionary reason we have bias. But if you bring in that thing that keeps us alive into a world where we're trying to thrive, then that's where that evolutionary thing survive instinct is actually becoming a negative if we want to thrive and grow. So again, a long, a long geeky answer to your uh, question, Susan. No, it's brilliant, Matt. What I was thinking of there was when we were in school, we never learned about England. So we Mm. skipped over Great Britain into Europe. So you grew up not liking English people and because you didn't know them. You you didn't know anything about them. And it's like what you were saying about the Germans. And then you start, obviously, I live in England now. And it's like you're normal, too, just like us. (laughs) But you do have to check your baggage, as the Americans would say, I think. You know, it it is about like, yeah, what is this telling me? And 
I think you're right. It's it's experiences, isn't it? It's the more you can see, read, hear, do yeah. the the broader, the more templates you have to help yeah. you with your decision making. Yeah. And I think everyone should be educated in confirmation bias because our brains all do that. We're all looking for more information to support what we already know, which that's how we're coded, right? But once you're aware of it, you, I consciously ask myself that. Am I confirming what I already know here? And once you're aware of it, and, and even like the brain types, like the reflective bit, I was in a leadership meeting. I've obviously come on here to, to talk, but when I was in a leadership meeting, because I'm very instinctive, I want to get involved in the chats, work out how we can, so I, I was saying to myself, stay in, reflect, stay in reflective mode, stay in reflect, just listen, just listen, just listen, because that's what your team need from you. Whereas my instinct is to get in and be involved in all the chats because I love it and it energizes me. But I know I'm blocking my team off if I do that. Yeah, I mean, self-awareness is it. You know, it's 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 something to continually work on, isn't it? You can't really take that for granted either, because the more you become aware, the more you become aware you're not aware. <laughs> yeah, totally. Our platforms be on neuroscience. The the second part is quantum physics. And there's a great saying about quantum physics, which is basically, if you think you know about quantum physics, you don't know about quantum physics. <laughs> because, And I love it because it's like, if you think you know about anything, you don't know about anything. That's like what it's saying, and which I think is the most true, brilliant thing ever. That is, that's life, isn't it? No one's an expert in anything. No, it's amazing. Now, Matt, your book is Freedom to be Happy, the business case for happiness. And obviously yeah. nobody can see it, but I'm holding it up. I read this in pretty much one sitting. I did go to an exercise class in the middle but <laughs> <laughs> just because it was booked in. Otherwise I would have read it in one go. And it's Thanks, so Susan. interesting. And I mean, you know, I'm aware of some of it, some of it I wasn't. So I'd opened up my eyes to new things and, and, and new sparks for me. But so many people think, you know, measuring happiness is fluffy mm-hmm. and that actually they, they just don't believe, I think, that the business case is there. Because if you treat people well, it seems yeah. obvious, doesn't it? If you treat people well, they're going to do their best for you and your business will do better. But we're not doing that. Yeah. Businesses, workplaces aren't doing that. So what evidence is there, Matt, to support that happier staff businesses perform financially better? And maybe this ties back into engagement as well. Yeah, there's none at all, Susan. I made it all up. But, um, <laughs> no, don't say that. <laughs> but two points, right? Two points. Um, one, belief is important. So it has to come from a belief system. So you have to believe this is this is the right way to do it. Because if you're just doing it, so like gratitude is like a really important thing. But if you're not generally grateful to your employees when they do something and you're just pretending, the people see through that. So uh, belief is an important important part right of this but we're really lucky now in that it is so much research and we were chatting Susan beforehand like the bibliography of the book one of the reasons I wrote the book which I explained to Susan is when you join the happiness index you're told about all this amazing research the problem is it's not in one place I thought right I'm just going to get it in one place and there's more stuff that I'll share with you that's come out since I wrote the book if we if we want to get into that but the two places that I ask everyone to start and they're they're also on my podcast because like you did with me Susan I hunt people down (laughs) and I say I need to get in and ask you some questions here so like two of the studies that I found fascinating so there's 28 years of stock market data in America um 
it's done by Professor Alex Edmonds. You can listen to me interview him on the Happiness in Humans podcast. Um, that show that if you invested in companies where, and you did it by industry, where they look after their employees, you would outperform the stock market by 2% um, over a 28 year period. I always put the lower end because that's still massive, right? And, but it's not 2% over 28 years. It's, it's that every year over 28 that's massive and i and it's just huge and i like to ask researchers as well like what was your biggest surprise in the data the biggest surprise in that piece of research shows 28 years so with serious amount of data here and um, is there's no variation in industry so some of your guests will work in different industries so they might be working in retail they might be working in travel and had a really tough two years they might be working in farming um or whatever the flow through to financials is the same in every industry. That was a shock for every single researcher on that. But when you think about it, it's obvious because it goes back to freedom to be human. These are human beings, whether they're working in a factory or in a shop. So I would ask everyone to look at Alex's uh, research. The second piece I think is really useful is by Professor Jeremy Dawson. Again, on the, po on the Happiness in Humans podcast, listen to the actual professor. They found if you went into two hospitals, exactly the same. And, and I am paraphrasing, so go and listen to Jeremy in his own words rather than me. But if, if there were two hospitals and everything was the same, apart from one had happier staff, the hospital with happier staff would have a less death rate, less infection rate, which given what we've just been through is unbelievable. Um, so you, then you start to get into why is that like, because a surgeon or a nurse or a doctor is not going to be consciously giving bad care. There are your, your bad people out there in all walks of life, but your general normal person in the National Health Service in the UK is an amazing human being. Um, and most people go into it because they care about people. Where it's coming from is that one of the things that we talk about in our model which people don't always link is happiness is linked to energy. So sorry, associated is the, the, the official word that I should be using. So when you're, when you're unhappier, you're less productive, less creative. And one that gets it's lost in the literature a little bit because a lot of people work in offices is you're not as accurate at your task. So for me and you, Susan, that might be, we, we, I mean, you're prolific at emails. That's the most, you, this pre email on here is the most efficient email I've ever seen, but, that's a typo to us, isn't it? Accuracy at task. If you're a surgeon, I don't want to go into the gory details. I'll let your listeners imagine what a lack of accuracy of task can mean. Put that over. If I don't know how many operations are in a day in the UK in the health service, but that's a lot. So over a period of time, that's going to impact death rate and infection rate. Again, I asked Professor Jeremy uh, Dawson, what's your biggest surprise in the research? And there was also an association between discrimination and happiness which when you think about it, it's freaking obvious, isn't it? If you were being discriminated at work, let's take gender as an example. If me and you were the, everything the same, but as a male, I was paid more than you, I'd be freaking surprised, Susan, if you weren't unhappy about that, because I would be unhappy if it was the reverse way around. And guess what? That impacts your performance. So discrimination actually impacts death rate as well. That's the reality of this stuff. So. It's not a fluffy metric at all, and the data shows that, but people think of happiness as sunshine and rainbows. And one thing I do like to point out, we're not called the high happiness index. The happiness index, that could be taken two ways. Um, <laughs> <laughs>
both reasons we're not called the high happiness index but it's not about high levels of happiness it's about understanding it's, the happiness index is called an index for a reason because it's giving you an index of people's emotions those emotions are data points that allow you to understand how your people feel so you can make better decisions going back to the original point so this isn't about like walking around the office telling people to cheer up if they're a bit sad that's not going to work so you do one thing it's going to make them unhappier <laughs> This is about understanding why people are unhappy. And if the reason people are unhappy is because they've been discriminated against, then fucking sort that out. Sorry. Sorry. Okay, <laughs> don't worry. Please, please, please. I have explicit. I just yeah. go with explicit. Go um, so, again, forgotten what the question was, but I think we've... Oh, it was why happiness is not a fluffy metric. <laughs> I hope that. Two, if you think it's a fluffy metric, start with those two Start with those two studies before you get into any, any of the deeper stuff. And, and if... If, like me, you want to hear from the people who actually did the research, listen to them on happiness and humans. Brilliant, Matt. And I think the other thing, a lot of people would say to me that I don't need to be happy at work. Mm-hmm. I just go in, I do my day, and that's it, you know? And I suppose when I wasn't happy at work, I did something about it. I either left or change something because mm. I think it comes back to what you're saying about energy it's really that's really interesting because I want to be there I want to be alive and energetic yeah. and full of it and doing yeah. stuff and bringing people with me and all of that so what do you say to people who think it doesn't matter you don't need to have that at work I don't say anything anymore Susan actually I don't I my my career has been working in things like digital transformation and so on and I remember in sort of like 2008 2009 speaking to massive brands saying you know what there's this thing coming down the line called digital you need websites you need apps you need all this kind of stuff and that's why I mentioned the word belief I realized when I look back I spent 10 years trying to get people to understand that digital transformation was important and I realized that the third that would just, no, no, we've done this for the last 30 years, this way it worked. They never listened. And most of them are out of business now. There were the believers you don't need to explain it to. And the, and the, the, the people in the middle, they're the ones where the data comes in because you can show them the trends and, and they'll, they're open-minded and, they're, and they'll get. So I actually don't anymore. I've stopped trying. I've, preach is the wrong word, but I'm not a preacher anymore. I'm just someone that's trying to uncover more of this stuff and if coming on 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 your podcast susan or or sharing it in an article in a newspaper or whatever someone sees it and that backs up what they're trying to do then great but it's something you need to find yourself and but but people find it in different ways don't they like uh, kevin who was on that advancing racial equity uh, piece i asked him why he so he's a black guy and he's really passionate about it. And in my head, I could be thinking, I can't ask a black guy why he's passionate about fighting racism. Because in my head, I was thinking, well, he's just going to go, well, because I'm black, Matt, and you're not going to understand this. Which is partly what he was thinking and is partly what he said. But then when he actually got into it, he said to me, I don't want work. So he's got children. I don't want work to be like that for my children. So even someone who doesn't want to be at happy at work like, I think to myself, I want to be a role model to my children. I met this guy a couple of years ago, friends of my uncle. He just retired. He told me he hated his entire career. He was so angry about it. And I just thought, wow. 
like he's literally his whole career and i just think yeah I don't say anything is the answer. I just try and keep surfacing this information and, and not preach at people. Brilliant. People often ask me this as well. How do you convince people that this is the way to go? And I say, I don't. I work with people who are already thinking about this stuff. Yeah. It's not my job to convince anyone of anything. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you do have to want this yourself. And yeah. I think it's really interesting what you said, Matt, about people working at the Happiness Index. But everybody it's about the role model thing isn't it yeah. people have had a bad experience and they don't want the same for people coming after them and certainly that is a big driver for me in my life yes and and i guess i don't even know what my did you have a, did you did you have a did you have an, a, an experience where you saw a culture or somewhere you worked where you thought oh that's not me susan what did, did that is it are you reflective of the happiness index or have you always worked in great places and you just wanted to replicate that for other people? Uh, I had lots of really crap workplace experiences over the years, Matt. And in the end, I think it was, you know what, I don't really want to work anywhere anymore. I want to work for myself and I want to work with people who want to do better with people. And sometimes it's just one individual isn't it that you're going to work with who's going to ruin the atmosphere because I think that's the other thing isn't it and you write about that in the book but emotions are contagious yeah there's emotional contagion and so if you have a toxic work environment it's one person that is creating that it just makes life miserable for people and I firmly believe you deal with that stuff but a lot yeah. of people don't. And, you know, it's back to what you're saying about measure, understand and make better decisions. If you measure the impact that one person is having negatively on others, yeah. you'd make a decision. Yeah, yeah, totally. So for me, you can be very happy in a work environment, even when the, the whole place is falling down around you if you're working with good people and you enjoy your boss and all of that and I've I've been lucky to have that but I've also had experiences where I was like oh my god I just need to get out of here and I've left every job without another job to go to and mainly because I got to a stage where I couldn't handle it anymore but for me a driver always was deal with this stuff because I don't want that to happen to people coming after me yeah totally I stood up to sexual harassment I've stood up to bullying I've stood up to all of these things and you usually end up in trouble you're usually the person that's then the troublemaker because people want to keep stuff under the carpet and that's what I don't understand yeah yeah unfortunately it's it's yeah that is part of human nature I think it's the status quo is sometimes easier to maintain isn't it it's, it's like you said about, you know, don't talk about religion and politics at work. Don't talk about bullying. Yeah. Don't talk about micromanagers. Yeah. We have no choice. We have so much work to do. We need to get on and do it. Yeah. And it's not right. Yeah, I totally. And I, and I think that linking this back to your previous question, Susan, around what you do as well. And the, to, I'll just share two fully loaded um, words with you, ignorance and incompetence, which is if you don't know about what we're talking about, right, the research and the data, you know, ignorance is a word that is loaded in lots of different reasons. But if you're a CEO 
and you don't know this data, you've not read my book, they've not been on your podcast, or you've not heard of any of these researches, you're just ignorant to the fact, aren't you? Just like people were ignorant to the fact that smoking kills. People were ignorant to that, that fact when cigarettes came out and so on. And over time, people became aware of that. Once you're aware of that, if it's a CEO, and this is loaded, and this w- will offend some people that are listening, is at that point, you, as far as I'm concerned, you're incompetent. Just in the same way that if you're putting your kids in a car and you don't know that seatbelts are good because there hasn't been a promotional awareness campaign or whatever, that's that's ignorance. The point that you put your children in your car and you know that information, you don't put a seatbelt on, you are incompetent and liable as far as I'm concerned. And that's where I think the role of the CEO and everything needs to be looked at because people look at, do they understand numbers? Do they get the financial bit? Do they get the legal bit? I look at some of these CEOs. I think you should, you wouldn't if there was a driving license for being a CEO, you wouldn't pass it. <laughs> I think you shouldn't be allowed because you get people they're responsible for thousands of other people's lives, and they're in charge. And you're like, how have, how is this? You don't have the skills required to do this job. Like you've got the old skills maybe of running a factory in 1920 but you don't have the skills to run a, a business with the new information we know around what makes people tick. So no, that's, I hope that hasn't, the ignorant, incompetent thing hasn't upset any of your listeners, but I do think it's an important point to bring out. No, I, I think that's a really um, succinct way of talking about this, actually. And, and it is true. It's back to what we were talking about awareness. Until you're aware of something, you're not aware of it. Ooh. And so you can't be responsible. But... I suppose, how do you become a CEO? You've worked your way up through through companies. You've worked with people. And that's the other thing I don't understand, perhaps. When you get up there, you forgot where you came from, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Because you didn't like it when people treated you badly. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it is funny, isn't it? I think we spend a lot of time trying to understand technology rather than trying to understand people. Yeah, totally. And that goes full circle, doesn't it, to freedom to be human and the original first conversation and the quote that I'd written on LinkedIn that I'd forgotten about. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) You've got to be very careful coming on this podcast. I like to pick stuff up, you know. Yeah, I'm impressing. But maybe just back to engagement, Matt, and what, what is employee engagement? So again, I'm like you, Susan. So I tracked down the person who coined engagement, Bill Kahn, first person to to coin it. And I had a chat with him on the podcast and he's pretty angry about employee engagement because he believes the same as me. So the original definition of employee engagement was personal engagement. And one third of the parts that he meant engagement was about was emotions. So if I had discovered employee engagement at the point in 1990 when it was coined I never would have started using the term employee happiness because engagement would have included emotions what happened and we can't blame this all on Utrecht business school but business schools like Utrecht in in Holland took this term of engagement and wrote about it and spread it around the world but and this is where it goes back to if you can measure it you can manage it which was a mantra around that time then it was technically impossible to measure emotions. 
you had stuff like supply chain understanding of people and stuff like that. That was all coming out. Uh, that was all new at the time. But you couldn't properly measure emotions because we weren't advanced in neuroscience and we didn't have the AI that we have now. So long story short, I think employee engagement was always supposed to be a personal engagement. It was always supposed to include emotions, but it was lost from that because we were obsessed with measuring stuff so we could manage it. Um, you can't manage your emotions. You can just feel them. So what we believe now and that we've had to break it down is that we believe engagement is what the brain needs. And we believe happiness is what the heart needs, which is why there's some interesting stuff going on in the great resignation, great realization, whatever we want to call it, which is and this and, and anyone who's listening that has ever been in a bad relationship let's talk personal for a second rather than work because relationships are relationships whether they're at work or at home is that you may split up with someone and someone will say oh they had a great job they were so nice they were this they did it. tick 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 but you knew deep down in your heart that you were unhappy so you leave this person but everyone around you is like why have you left that person like they're they're this and that's what the same in work in the fact that the job might have a good job description, a good job title, a good salary, all the things that we call engagement, but you're still unhappy and you leave. So the trend has continued even since I wrote the book over the last year, which is engagement scores have held up quite well across the world, but happiness is at all time low records. So um, they are down to things like the, the one we're seeing a lot in our surveys at the moment is personal development. But if you think about it, human beings have got the two instincts of survive and thrive if we think about what that actually means survive means just like go away and hide in your hole and just get through it thrive means grow that's what we're talking about here we're talking about growth and if we take this into the macro company bit i'll tell you now it's a lot easier to grow your business if your people are growing with you as well but people feel that they're not able to grow and that hits their happiness. When, when we put it on a matrix, right, we first thought it was all going to be about happiness. When you actually plot it out, if you have happiness without engagement, so high happiness, low engagement, you end up with an unfocused workforce because you don't have things like clarity, direction, and so on. So that's like the bottom right of the quadrant. If you just have engagement without happiness, many leaders think they have a thriving culture. They don't. What they have is a competitive culture where there's a superstar level and there's a load of salespeople that are doing well, a load of marketing people doing well, but the rest of the people are not. That's competitive culture. Lots of companies are striving towards that, but it's not right in terms of if you want to get the whole company going in the right direction. If you get high happiness and engagement, that's where you get thriving. If you look at what we mean by thriving, it's growth. So ultimately, you're trying to get people into that growth mindset. And it's not just growth mindset because someone wrote it down that sounds good. It's because you want the whole company to grow, and that's your job as CEO. So once you start reconnecting these bits up, you look at the CEO role differently. Forgot what the question was again, Susan. Doesn't really matter, Matt, because you know employee engagement. I think you know, and that was it. That was yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, and that's yeah. what we've talked about. And yeah, I'm, I'm going to put that that quadrant is in the book, isn't it? Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll if, not, it on, if not, if not, I can send it to you. And and also the the index, the the table, the factors, feeling valued as an individual is yeah. number one for people, and that's how they. Yeah. Uh, and it just yeah, the data is there, and. Yeah. Yeah, I hope more and more people start becoming aware of it if they aren't already. 
Matt, I could talk to you for forever. <laughs> I think, and I feel like <laughs> I we've only scratched the surface. Yeah. So how does somebody connect with you? You've mentioned your podcast. I'll put a link in the show notes. I'll yeah. put a, a link to the book in the show notes. But if somebody would like to have a conversation with you. Yeah, I think there's two ways. If you want to, if you want to collect the data in your company, just go to thehappinessindex.com, book a demo. The team will show you how companies are collecting it. If you want to speak to me personally, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter. And you know, an amazing thing someone did the other day, they wrote me a letter. (laughs) Wow, and sent it by post. Yeah, and we're now really good friends. They're now an investor in the Happiness Index, Robert Black. It sat on my desk for about three months where it became the thing that I doodled on. And every day I said, I am going to message this Robert person saying, thank you for your letter and blah 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 and with kids and life and everything and i finally got around to it because he was asking about jobs at the happiness index we didn't have anything for him but we stayed in touch and then we did an investment round we're doing another one in january and yeah he's invested so and he came to our investor breakfast we're hanging out now it turns out he's a tottenham fan we're going to try and go to a game together so write me a letter i'd love a letter no one writes me letters <laughs> Cool. So write Matt a letter if you're listening. I might regret this, might I? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Thank you so much, Matt, for for such a wonderful, colourful conversation this morning. That, well, thanks for having me. It's a privilege, privilege to come and share. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you for listening today. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with someone you know who would enjoy it too. I believe we are all entitled to enjoy our work and the future of work life will be changed by those who put people first and create more fulfilling work lives for themselves, their colleagues, their teams and organisations. If you have any suggestions for topics you'd like to have covered, guests you'd like to hear from or questions for me, please drop a line to susan at beyond-thenumbers.com. And finally, please consider leaving a review.